invite you to join me in Jude, if you're not there already. Jude, as we look at the last two verses of this short book that we've been working our way through, the book of Jude. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do pray this evening that you would speak. That you would speak to us through your word. That your spirit would take your word. That you would plant it deep in us. That your word would challenge us. That you would confront the sin that is in our lives. The sins that we so easily run back to. your word would work in us, not only confronting our sins, but then moving us to change, to grow. For we know that you've given us all that we need to live godly in this present age in your word. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would do that work in us, even through these two simple verses this evening, that we may be edified, built up, challenged and changed for your glory. Even in this hour, Heavenly Father, do your work, your sanctifying surgery on each and every one of our hearts. That we may go and we may take the good news of the gospel to the world around us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That song we just sang, the last verse, it says, Speak, O Lord. Renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. The truth does not change because the truth is the truth. As you turn to the book of Jude, that's the very thing that Jude is dealing with. False teachers who have come in. False teachers who are trying to twist that truth. To lead astray for their own purposes. The truth does not change. The truth is always the truth. Similar to as we did this morning uh, in the book of Malachi, as we come to the book of Jude, these last two verses, I think it's, it's short enough to where we can read the entire book leading into these last two verses. These last two verses are really the, the, the summary of everything, not the summary, but, but Jude's closing prayer, his doxology. Out of all of this, this is what I desire, that God would get the glory. And so it's important for us to have that context. These last two verses, this is the, the conclusion. Homiletics teachers will tell you that the conclusion is very important. You've got to, once you take off on your sermon, you've got to land the plane right. You've got to bring it to a close. And that's what Jude is doing here in these last two verses. And so I think it's very important for us to back up, read the book. It's short enough to where we can do that. The 23 verses leading into this, and it'll give us a running start into this glorious doxology. Follow along as I read. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, well, I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, 
to turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he's reserved in everlasting change, chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know, naturally, like, br like brute beasts in these things, they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you, without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which are spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions not having the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the faith. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. The word doxology comes from the Greek word doxa. It's a word that means glory. And glory is, is, is usually the central virtue that is ascribed to God in these formulas. You'll find doxologies throughout the epistles. Sometimes in, in major breaks in those epistles, Paul will stop and, and go into a doxology. Praising God. Many times at the end of the epistle, there'll be a doxology. Early Christians often used doxologies to conclude their um, prayers or sermons. 
And so here, Jude, he adapts the typical formula of a doxology to fit his needs. And and what we end up getting here in the book of Jude is actually the longest and perhaps the most well-known doxology in the New Testament. Even if you did not know that these two verses came from the book of Jude, you likely knew these two verses. You've heard them. You know them. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless. Those are great truths. And yet they are all the more thrilling in the context of the book of Jude. In these two verses, Jude expounds to his readers who God is and what that means for God's people. Who God is and what that means for God's people. The first word of the book, or the first word of, of, chapter, of verse 24, as he moves into this doxology, is now. Now. Now, as I move towards the conclusion of this book, this short little letter or sermon, as I move towards it, meditate on these truths. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling. To him. There's only one. Everyone knows who it is that Jude is referring to. There is only one who is able to keep you from stumbling. It is God himself. And he is the one who is able, referring then to God's omnipotence. He is all-powerful. He alone is able to do this thing. And what is this thing? It is to keep you from stumbling. To keep you from stumbling. To present you faultless, he goes on to say. The word stumbling is the idea of of tripping. The idea of of falling short. God is able to keep you from stumbling. And we just pause for a second here and reflect on the context of Jude and the appropriateness of this opening line to his closing. The whole point of the book of Jude is that false teachers have, have crept in. They are leading you astray. They are causing you to stumble. But already at the beginning of the book, Jude opens with this. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of Jesus Christ, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. He starts with this truth that you are preserved in Jesus Christ. Before he even gets into these false teachers who crept away and the the danger of allowing them into the church unchecked. He assures them. You are called by God and the God who called you is the God who will sanctify you. And he is the God who will complete in you what he has begun. He will preserve you as Philippians 1.6 tells us. What God has begun, he will complete in you. So as you come to the end of the book of Jude, Jude reminds them of that same truth that he started with. You will be preserved in Christ Jesus because God is the one who is able to keep you from stumbling. Not just to keep you from stumbling, but to present you faultless. He's able to keep you from stumbling along the way, and at the end of all of this, he will present you faultless. 
The language there is important to present you faultless. It's not that we are faultless, that we have a righteousness of our own. It's the righteousness of God has been imputed to us in Jesus Christ. Where God looks at us as righteous, as faultless in Christ. Not having a righteousness of our own. It is God who will do this. Notice he doesn't say, to him who is able to keep you faultless from stumbling so that you may present yourself faultless in the end. Of the, in, in the end. No, he says God will keep you from stumbling and then God will present you faultless. Brothers and sisters, your salvation is all entirely a work of God from your salvation to your sanctification to your glorification. It is the work of your sovereign God. And it is he that will present you faultless. Before the presence of his glory, on this final day, you will stand before him, you will be presented before him faultless, with exceeding joy. This will not be a day of fear as you stand before your God. But if you are in Christ, this will be a day of exceeding joy as your heart explodes in praise, as you stand declared righteous before your holy God. Exceeding joy. Ex exploding with joy. This is the only right response to God's work in us. It is entirely God's work, and this is entirely the right response. There's a boldness in this joy. Have you ever been somewhere where, where you're excited to be there and yet you, you're, you're kind of hesitant, so you hold back your joy a little bit? You're not, you don't express it so openly. You just kind of hold it in. Maybe you're not comfortable with the people around you. But this is an exceeding joy. It is clear to all who are around because you are comfortable, because you are boldly standing before the throne of your God in Christ alone, not on your own merit, because it is God who kept you from stumbling and it is God who has presented you faultless before himself, with exceeding joy. What a day that will be, even so come, Lord Jesus. Moves on in verse 25, to God our Savior. Note that word there, God our Savior. He doesn't say to God the Savior, to God a Savior, but to God our Savior. That's a personal word. And it begs the question, is God your Savior? I was saved as a five-year-old. I've told the story many times. Uh, the, I, I grew, grew up in a Christian home. I'd heard the gospel probably a million times by the time I was five years old. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that, that Jesus was the Son of God, that he died on the cross. And I never connected the, the dots that it was my sin, that I needed a Savior. Until in kindergarten, we were uh, studying Psalm 23, and the idea of the Lord is my shepherd. And for some reason, in my five-year-old mind, that made it click. The Lord is not just a shepherd. He's not the shepherd. It was that word, the Lord is my shepherd. And for some reason, in my five-year-old mind, I realized, yes, he is a shepherd, but he's not my shepherd. He needs to be my shepherd. And 
was that little word, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord used to illumine the truth of the gospel to me. To show me my sin. And turn to faith in Jesus Christ. To God our Savior. Is God your Savior? Are you a part of that little three-letter word, are? Can you say he is my Savior? He is my shepherd. It's interesting to hear it says to God our Savior. Majority of the times the New Testament, the, the uh, New Testament writers were clarified to Jesus our Savior. In fact, there's only seven times outside of this verse where God is called Savior rather than Jesus. And yet it's an entirely appropriate thing to say. Because while it is Jesus who accomplishes salvation, who, who dies on the cross through his sacrificial death, he secures our salvation for us, it is God who initiates the process. God is your Savior if you've placed your faith in Christ alone. To God our Savior, who alone is wise. Again, this ties to this book. God alone is wise. The false teachers boasted of a special knowledge. We have a, a special knowledge that, that we've attained. Something that we know that no one else knows. Follow us. Brothers and sisters, there is no special knowledge. There is just the truth. James 1.5 says God gives wisdom liberally to all who seek it. He alone is God only wise. He is the source of wisdom. You don't need to look outside of him or outside of this book to find wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's all right here. He is our Savior. He alone is wise. As Jude moves towards the end of the book, moves towards the end of the book, he says, Be glory to this God, our Savior, who alone is wise. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power. Be glory. One commentator said that his glory is, the, is his weighty and majestic presence. It is the sum of all that God does and all that God is. Be glory. As he rightly deserves glory. Glory and majesty, great and magnificent God. These first two verses, these first two words, glory and majesty, remind us of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That idea, hallowed be your name, is the idea of may you get the glory that is rightfully yours. May your name be lifted up in glory and majesty so that all sees that our God, our God is God. He is worthy. He is glorious. He doesn't stop there. He goes, dominion and power. Dominion is his sovereign rule. God, Lord of the universe. Who rules and who reigns. We got a picture of that recently as we walked through the book of Daniel. Seeing that, that God is on the throne, even behind the nations that rise up and that fall down throughout all of history, our sovereign God rules and reigns. His purposes are being accomplished. And so to him be glory and majesty and dominion and power. 
power, God's authority and control. He is God omnipotent, God all-powerful. This God alone be glory and majesty and dominion and power, both now and forever. Stressing again God's eternality. He will not pass away. From everlasting to everlasting, as the psalmist says, he is God and he is worthy of glory and honor and majesty and dominion and power. Amen. In verse 3 of Jude, Jude really gives us the reason for why he's writing this book. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I I wanted to write to you about salvation. I I wanted to explore this glorious doctrine of salvation with you. But something else came up. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to all the saints. That is the application of the book of Jude. Contend for the faith. Defend the truth. Fight for the gospel. Not just on the defensive, but go out on the offensive. Take the gospel to the streets, to the end of the world. Contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to all the saints. And as you go contending, know this. That the God who calls you to go is the God who is able to keep you from stumbling. And he is the God who at the end will present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Because he alone is the God who is wise. He alone is the God who deserves glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Because he alone is God. Douglas Moo, in his commentary, says this. Jude has warned the church of a serious and threatening outbreak of false teaching. He has called believers not simply to batten down the hatches and ride out the storm, but to reach out redemptively to those who are falling away. Believers can do that because their position with the Lord is secure. Because their position with the Lord is secure. Brothers and sisters, you can go and you can make disciples. You can stand boldly on the truth of this book, on the truth of the gospel, because your position in Christ is secure. There is no hope. There is no no possibility of you slipping. Because God has you. Because he is able to keep you from stumbling and he will present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Brothers and sisters, let that thrill your soul. Let that be a burden to your heart to go boldly out of these doors and to contend for the faith. Yes, that involves guarding this pulpit. And we must guard it. We must not allow the the ideas of our day to affect the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is unchanging. We must defend this pulpit, but we must go on the offensive. 
We must take the gospel to the streets, to the office, into our homes, into our lives and relationships. Contend for the gospel. And contend boldly because your God is able to keep you and to deliver you faultless at the day before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Really, when it comes down to it, what Jude is saying is keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Yes, these false teachers might come in, people might come in, they might try to distract you or pull you away. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. He, He is the one who keeps you. I want to close with the song, Still, My Soul Be Still. There's a line in this song, I think it's in the second verse. Still, my soul be still. Do not be moved by lesser lights and fleeting shadows. That is the book of Jude. Be still. Stand firmly on the gospel. Don't be moved by lesser lights. Don't be tempted by fleeting shadows. Stand securely on the truth of the word of God. And that gospel, know it, and then go proclaiming it. Brothers and sisters, contend for the gospel of Jesus Christ because your God is able to do what he has promised he will do. Let's stand together and sing, Still My Soul Be 